Every week we do a Q&A with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community to find how they persevered, how they innovated, how they built communities, and how they found solutions. Welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast. All right, welcome to the Name Tags Chat Podcast, where we talk with interesting and accomplished members of the adaptive community. Today, we have Dave Kiley, who's a gold medalist in wheelchair track, in wheelchair basketball, in alpine skiing. He's a tremendous athlete in tennis, in water skiing, in a variety of different things, and was recently, and I mean recently, last weekend, was inducted into the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee Hall of Fame. Dave, welcome. Thanks for joining us. It's awesome, Chris. Thanks for having me. So cool to see you guys get inducted last weekend. What was that like for you? (laughs) You know, I've tried to describe it probably a a hundred times to different people uh, since uh, last Friday night, right? And uh, it started that Friday night where I made a few phone calls and I was, oh my God, oh my God, this and that, you know, and, uh, but it, it, it's in its own place of, you, you know, the top of the mountain, the pinnacle, whatever you want to call it for sport, uh, the, the presentation, the organization, all of it, Chris, the, the pride that I came away with, uh, was staggering, you know, and, I still am just kind of shaking my head and, and the social media frenzy still kind of continuing, you know, it's like, yeah, so I'm living it. I'm loving it. And in my sport life, there's nothing that's ever going to come as close, come close to that night and that distinction. It was amazing. And you had, you had such a great class as well. I mean, you're talking about like, I mean, the Paralympic class where like Trisha Zorn, 55 Paralympic medals. That's a crazy number. That's a huge number. Muffy Davis, great in two sports. The, uh, the 2002 hockey team. Then you had like Michael Phelps, you had Lindsey Vaughn, you had Mia Hamm, uh, Roger Kingdom. You know, I mean, I mean, just an amazing, and I'm forgetting some people right now. Was there anybody that you looked at and said, that's the person I want to meet because you're kind of you're inside the velvet ropes now, right? You're a peer with people who in some ways were heroes. Absolutely. You know, and I I got to say, I had a target on every one of those that you mentioned and Michelle Kwan. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, because I grew up uh, or, you know, I saw I watched them all uh, at their, their their heyday, you know, and and Olympic memories of that kind uh, are are never forget kind of memories, you know. And uh, so I knew uh, I knew I was going to meet Lindsey Vaughn just because of ski racing. That I, you know, and I don't know about you. I would presume I love the speed events, you know. Uh, and so I had a little interaction with her about speed and. She was really nice and complimentary uh, about the uh, acceptance. And so anyway, it, it, but I, I wasn't satisfied until I got all those people in a photo, had a conversation and, uh, you know, so, and I was successful, you know, I, you and me took a picture with Dorothy Hamill, you know, I didn't expect the likes of 
Spencer Haywood, Lenny Wilkins, Teresa Edwards. Uh, you know, I thought it was just going to be the inductees, and but there were plenty, plenty of other uh, uh, of different classes there, and uh, uh, again, people that I kind of truly followed and to a certain extent even idolized. So you like the little kid with the baseball going to the game, trying to get everybody's signature kind of thing? Dude, dude I was such a kid that night. I, I mean, I, and, and I planned on it. You, you heard me even say it, you know, uh, uh, I didn't care, you know, uh, and I was that guy, you know, I just kept looking around. Oh, I got to go, you know, I, I wait for a break. Cause that, you know, they're getting inundated to, for the most part. But uh, they were they were really really cool to uh, to me and 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 tolerated the request. You know, um, Michael Phelps even came back after he saw our photo together posted and said a couple kind words. You know, and uh, I was like, wow, dude, tell a lot for uh, from a guy that you know. Just just by a couple words, you you know, you tell the story about who you are. And I go, I really appreciate it. And thanks for the awesome photo op, you know. So yeah. it's interesting. Yeah, because you have your class, right? I mean, this is you guys are going to be a class forever. But it's also, you know, I mean, like a guy like Michael Phelps, you think, oh, like he he has no reason to interact with us in some ways. But he seemed completely, I was amazed. I mean, I had that little, that little like 30 second speech or whatever at the beginning. And he's like nodding along and everything. And I'm like, wow, like Michael Phelps is like full on into this. That's the cool part, like the pure part and the fun part. Uh, what was it like for your, I mean, like your wife was there. What, what was it like for her? Because she's seen everything. She's been a part of everything, and and yet yet again, she's been left behind more than she's been a part of, you know, uh, because she was holding down the the most important thing that was our our home and our children. But you know, a, a funny story was with the Phelps and his kids. I don't know if you picked up on it, but when they introduced me, uh, I I think the four year old thought they heard David Coyote, and so. He hollered that twice. He's like, David Coyote. He said it again, you know, and I'm like, all right, do I go with this? I, I already got a little bit of humor coming right out of the gate, you know. I, so I just left it alone. But then I was told afterwards, yeah, that's exactly what he hollered from the, uh, uh, from the Phelps Row, you know. <laughs> uh, I thought that was hilarious. But, uh, you know, my wife and I, I, I look at it we're as one, you know, in this stage of our marriage after 40 some odd years of marriage. And um, uh, we're still talking about the great time together that we had there, you know, and she, she felt the power of the moments. And, uh, you know, Michelle Kwam just kind of, they cozied up and just kind of talk like, like Michelle Kwam was a neighbor or something, you know? And uh, so, uh, and, and my wife's so proud. She's been checking all and more, more social media than I can keep up with. And um, so uh, 
she deserves so much credit, Chris. I mean, you know, anybody that comes, that goes elite and is gone and hits the road globally, you know, you're leaving somebody behind and they're sacrificing while uh, in order that you can achieve. And, and uh, my wife's the true picture of that story. Yeah. Yeah. And Michelle Kwan, I mean, you're talking about her. She's now going to be the ambassador to Belize, right? Uh, I think I heard rumor of that. Yeah. That's what I heard that night that she's going to, I mean, what an amazing thing as an athlete to go from being who you are as an athlete to then who you're going to be for the rest of your life. And obviously you've done that, but can we go back a little bit to where you started? I mean, John Brewer was posting a bunch of photos at one point from like sports and spokes. So the old black and white photos. And I kept looking at these going, that looked like such a cool era, like back in the seventies, when you're taking your chairs and chopping them up and trying to add this and trying to add that and trying to make it faster. What was it like in that era? Well, you're exactly right. And first of all, it's a head scratcher how John Brewer just continued to fire those photos out one after another, you know, and it, I think it stimulated the people that joined that, that group on Facebook because everybody started to throw what they could find. You know, I didn't have that much, but, you know, in Southern and Northern California, there was a lot going on with, uh, with track and, and racing and, and road racing. And so it seemed like we were always from San Diego to San Jose uh, competing in the California games. And uh, there were some legendary uh, foundational uh, technology things going on then, you know, with um, center of gravity and, and uh, smaller push rings. You know, we were part, we were the era where the small, smaller push ring came into play. And that was Rod Williams and Steve Scott uh those those guys uh and that's when you're still pushing like st stainless steel chairs though right uh to yeah in 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 the 70s by the time we started to bloom into a few you, you know in 76 uh it was you know putting bigger balloon wheels on the front end and but we had a like a 17 inch push ring uh, uh, on this chair. And literally that chair in a relay, I, I, I can't remember where I was in, I think I anchored it, but we traded that chair out because it, we only had one that had the 17 inch push ring. So when you cross the line, you jumped out of that. And then the racer that was gonna come back was, you know, uh, had had to uh, be in the chair for the racer coming back. And, uh, you, you know, and, and I really attribute it to uh, my 100 meter. Uh, it was a Paralympic record at the time. And it's, you know, 19. What was the point, time? 19 was points. Fastest 100 meter guy, right? Yeah. But Ray Lewandowski out of Rochester, New York, had beat me for about a year straight prior. 
I mean, he was just a flat, fast man, you know, that the chair just going down, you know, we, we still, you know, it was still in the early days, but I had the smaller push rings in the hundred meters. He did not, you know, and he blazed out and I go, oh crap, man. He at 50 meters, he he was he was ahead, he was ahead, but then that smaller push ring kicked in. And you know, I took him uh first time I ever beat him. And uh yeah, I'll never forget that one. You know, uh, we had what such a great 19.1. You know, uh which was fast then, obviously, because it it was uh a record but you know not by today's standards i mean but you know it was a modified everyday chair and the push ring difference that you're talking about that's effectively like going from being in first gear on your bike to being in fifth gear so he started faster because it was easier to turn that over yeah but then he reached his max speed and he couldn't go any faster and that's when you blazed by him. Where did you go by him? It was like 60, 70, 80 meters. What, what kind of? Yeah, it was more probably like, you know, 60 to 70, you know, I think I caught him at 50 and then it just kind of turboed me into the, the finish and to win, you know, but I expected that, you know, I, I knew the premise, you know, he, that it, he's going to be on top of those wheels and he's going to have a great start. I'm going to come out a little slower don't panic and just, you know, stay the course. And uh, yeah, so that was a very successful first Paralympics in 1976. Yeah, well, uh, they didn't even call it the Paralympics at that time. You know, it was the, uh, it was the Olympiad for the disabled. And uh, so I didn't really you know, at 21, I didn't really place like this phenomenal, I'm, I'm racing for my country. This is, this is, uh, uh, the biggest thing ever, you know, uh, it wasn't really like that. It, the facilities were a little, I mean, they were new facilities in Toronto, but you know, there weren't many people there, uh, especially at the track. I mean, there was in basketball, but yeah. So, so I really didn't know what I was doing. You know, I come away with five for five and I, I challenge Arnie Bolt. He's a Canadian that first amputee to uh, get over six foot in the high jump. Right. And we're both nominated for uh, uh, athlete of the games. Well, the games were in Canada and, and, and you know, uh, get a little hometown advantage. Well, he, you know, I, I'm not going to say he didn't deserve it, you know, and, and in print, it says we were both kind of right there. So that's good enough for me um, now, you know, but um, yeah. And uh, subsequently, uh, I hate to say it. I, I lost those gold medals. I mean, no idea. Where no are. idea. You know, they 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 weren't much to look at, to be honest. Right. But the significance now, yeah. 
yeah, yeah, the significance changed exponentially, you know, from uh, then to now. Uh, and again, I was just young and naive too, and uh, but it all came together, and and um, you know, and six Paralympics later, I'm <laughs> I'm uh, carrying around a bunch of hardware, you know. Exactly. Looking at that stuff that John Brewer put up, I kept thinking each time I saw it, it was like I, I felt like there should be a movie, like from that era not a documentary but like but like a narrative movie a dramatic movie that's based on that era and, and if it were the if they did that what would your role be not not necessarily what would what like if somebody's playing you what would your character be like who are you i mean the southern your california character guy. would be southern california surfer hippie dude that was fast and uh, love to compete, you know, and uh, that era and those players, when I say players, uh, the racers, uh, you, you know, Gary Kurt, uh, Rob Williams, Steve Scott, um, you know, to a certain extent, a little bit later, Brad Parks, Jim Martinson, uh, John Rudolph, there were, there were all kinds of good, Jim Knob, uh, battled with Jim Knob, you know, uh, and to beat him, it took, it took a really smart strategic, uh, application to, to stay with that guy. Um, so, you know, we're all running into each other a lot and, and we're all drafting each other just the same way that, you know, today's racer does, you know, and you saw some of the trains, in those John Brewer uh, photos, you know, and um, everybody's chair was quite a bit different. <laughs> you know, I think I had a quickie titanium frame, you know. Um, was it California versus the rest of the country kind of thing? Was it Southern California versus Northern California? I mean, is this, is this like, uh, like rap kind of thing where it's like, you know, East Coast, West Coast deal, or what? Yeah, I think it's more, it was more East West, you know, because we found ourselves North and South collectively putting together relay teams and, you know, wanting to dominate, which, which we did uh, most of the time, uh, or actually all the time. Uh, we had some heavyweights out in Cali, and, uh, uh, but, yeah, yeah, it, it 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 was east versus west, and or or California versus Texas. It seems like that that's always been kind of a rivalry in whatever sport. Um, was Randy there at the same time? Randy Snow at the same time as you, or Randy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he came he came a handful of years later. Okay, and as did Brad. Um, but oh no, Brad. Brad was earlier than than Randy. Um, but yeah, we hit the. I think it was University of Washington. We had a national games up there, and man, everybody was there, and and uh, except for a crowd, you know, crowds didn't come come out back then. You know, it was you and your racers and family and friends. You know, 
but still, it was powerful memories from those times. Who would the other characters be? I mean, you talked about Knob to a certain extent. I mean, who went on to a great racing career. I mean, what, like, didn't he, he had some interaction with, like, Fonzie on Happy Days, too, right? I mean, yeah, he, he got like, into fight that. with Fonzie he, or something? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I mean, but there were a number of wheelchair athletes that went the Hollywood direction, you know, uh, and it was it was brand new, and, you know, you still were trying to fight public perception, and, and yet some people still were able to uh, be uh, accepted, uh, into certain roles, you know, and Jim was one of them. And, you know, um, there was a Long Beach, uh, veteran VA guy that Lou Carrillo, he got into some movies and, and then coming home with John Boyd and Jane Fonda about the, you know, Academy Award winner, uh, that movie was big and filmed in Southern California in the VA system. And uh, it brought all wheelchair athletes in for a little payday and cameo appearances. And uh, so, you know, Southern Cal had that element, you know, that you could, uh, you might land an extra spot or uh, something, you know. What did that feel like? If you're landing that extra spot, is that, is that kind of making it into the mainstream? Did it, did it mean you'd sort of arrived that you were accepted? Was it you just know, a payday? It, uh, no, no. It, it, it was more than that. We had John Voigt coming to our practices. You know, he was, he was very deliberate in trying to understand uh, wheelchair basketball. And, and then all these guys were vets that I was hanging out with, Vietnam vets. And uh, so he, he was very diligent in coming to practice. And so we were hanging out um, and <laughs> this is gonna crack you up, but I, I was being set up to be his double. Uh, his double in the, oh, you know? Oh no, I don't know. I'm just saying this sounds oh, great. Okay. I don't know. His double in the love scene. Oh, with Jane okay. Fonda. Okay. Oh yeah. So here, here I am, dude. And, uh, you, you know, I was blonde. He was blonde. We had similar builds and I think they were, you know, trying to, you know, do a realistic job of the atrophied legs or something in that scene. I don't know. Uh, so I'm on a closed set, Chris, in a robe with bikini uh, skin colored underwear on and uh, I'm petrified. I'm absolutely petrified. And uh, so I'm, I'm watching this love scene. I, I mean, first of all, it was Jane Fondo had a double and uh, it was somebody else, you know, uh, and you can imagine <laughs> somebody else. Uh, so it, it was, thank God they chose not to use me, you know, because I, I really was absolutely uh, petrified. Um, and, but that's my, I had some other little therapy pool vignettes in that film and little basketball thing, but 
that would have been something else if I had carried that around. That stuff's easy. The yeah, yeah, yeah. But the love scene. Oh yeah, no, no acting experience. No, you know. Let's face it, man. You know, you're still, you know, in your early twenties, you're still figuring some things out. You know, uh, so. Were you uh, married at that time? No, 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 no. I didn't. I met Sandy at the Final Four in Cleveland, Ohio, in uh, 1978. So, uh, you know, uh, I'd already, I just graduated from college at Sacramento State uh, University, and uh, and had, uh, you know, we, we met in. We we met in April and married in November. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was a wow. It was right. You know. That's quick. I knew. I knew. I knew and uh, we said you've been together for forty something years, so so yeah. you really knew. Yeah, we got married in seventy eight. So I think that's what forty four or something. Yeah. Yeah, forty four years. That would make sense. You talked a little bit about the. Uh, I mean, because because yeah, now that you've talked about John Voight, we're eventually going to have to make it to the Talladega Nights too. Maybe we should just talk about Talladega Nights. How did those How did those two things compare? Because there's still basketball in both of them, right? Right, right. And you know that Will Ferrell movies, especially Talladega, just lives forever. You know, I don't know how many years ago that was. Twenty plus years ago. Uh, you know, they got in touch with me, uh, the casting director at the rehab center, and they knew I had a network of, of uh, contacts with athletes. And so we all had shots at, um, uh, what do you call them when you try out for a, like an uh, audition? An audition. And, uh, uh, and I was older than some of the other guys, but they still kind of let me come in and play, but, uh, or play the role. And, and I, again, I find myself with the lead guy, I'm d up Will Ferrell and, and, uh, he's just hilarious. You know, uh, they cut out a, a part, um, where, you know, he, he shoots a shot, he makes it. And now he's talking smack to me, right? Uh, like, how you like that? I just made you my B, you know? And I'm like, I'm looking at him like, uh, I've got a little smirk. I go, dude, nobody talks to me like that, you know? <laughs> and, uh, uh, you, you know, and I was, I had this little part where, uh, our speaking part that would have enhanced my pay payday. Uh, but I, you know, they, they cut that and, uh, and they didn't put that one part in. Cause I think they thought it might be too offensive to the disabled community. Uh, uh, but yet they still had two dudes kissing at the end of the movie. Right. Uh, <laughs> what's going to be offensive. Yeah. Yeah. Well, going to get offended. Yeah, but Will Ferrell, but you know, I got back in touch with him uh, while he was here filming. I got him a limo. He came to a wheelchair basketball tournament 
and and was the halftime show. The place was jammed at uh, UNCC, and um, uh, and then he gave us a private showing uh, of the movie. Um, he sent us like fifty tickets to the Coca Cola. 500 600 whatever it is uh and uh, sent a person out to bird dog us and show us a good time and he was really really cool you know uh he didn't write that hundred thousand dollar check that i asked him for but you know he, he did everything else not to you personally but to your program i'm assuming to my program yeah 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 right yeah personal donations don't happen too too often <laughs> Well, he's probably tuning in now, so maybe that'll be, maybe he'll yeah, get yeah, that I out mean, to you. I mean, you know it's going to get out there because, you know, your your reach is forever. Exactly. How much interaction did you guys have when you were shooting that, though? Did, did you actually, was it sort of like one shot, we'll put it together, or did you kind of like scrimmage kind of thing? Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, we had to be there at like 6 a.m., and... And we shot all the way up to lunch. Then we all had lunch together uh, with all the actors, you know, Michael Clark Duncan, John C. Riley. Uh, so it was pretty hilarious. And, you know, just carrying on a, a real conversation with Will Ferrell is like, I'm getting ready to bust up, you know, crack up just because I think something's coming, you know, uh, because that's all I know of the guy. Uh, so we had some we had some decent interaction, and that's what led to those requests that he consider uh, doing that those things for us after after he left. Um, you know, but this is for the three on three stuff that you're doing. Uh, uh, no, no, no. I mean, asking him for uh, being involved with our program and showing up for that halftime and and that. Um, but the one thing that follows me around in North Carolina is almost once a week, dude, were you in Talladega Nights? Because that movie plays over and over and over again. And it's such a short little spot. Either people miss it or they haven't seen the movie. And, uh, you know, but, and I look at him and I go, oh, uh, yeah, yeah, I was, you know. 25 years ago or whenever that was and but it's pretty regular i'll tell you and and for that little cameo they look at me like i'm some sort of super actor or something you were in a will ferrell movie hey he was in talladega nights i'm like yeah i do for a blink for a blink but it's more in some ways it's more than like all the medals that you want and all the different sports and everything isn't it what that appearance? Like you get more recognized for like Talladega Nights. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Than oh, yeah. for all I the other stuff that you actually earned, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and you know, you're not gonna find out from me first of all because I'm just not gonna tell you. I'm not gonna. I don't want to be the guy that's gonna tell you how great I am. You know, so uh, uh, if you get what I mean, I'm just, just not that way, but. Talladega is out there on blast and then if it gets around next thing you know the same person's telling people he's been he or she's being cool in that circle of conversation because they know you know and I'm like oh here we go again you know but 
it all goes in the book of experience, you know, and find myself in the right spots in a lot of places so around the globe. Yeah. How much different are wheelchair, uh, wheelchair basketball chairs now than when you started? Well, I mean, from Volkswagens to Porsches, you know. Uh, or like Model T to Porsches. Yeah, yeah. I had a fast Volkswagen in high school, by the way. But uh, because we had to make do with everyday chairs. I mean, a sport, they actually had sports chairs, but it looked just like an everyday chair. But it had those two uh, spots for your axles, you know, you could move your axle, which was a grade eight bolt from a hardware store into the forward. Um, it, it messed with your, it, it moved your center of gravity about one inch and that made it a sport chair. Otherwise it was an everyday chair without, without armrests, without uh, push handles. And uh, you had roller bars that you had to put on the front end to keep your, foot pedals solid right for the contact uh because they were the folding foot pedals folding and it's a folding chair right yeah it was a folding chair too right. <laughs> yeah but that's where innovation started to eke its way in uh rob williams again came up with a camber adjustment bar in the cross members which you know, would allow the wheels to camber out, you know, dramatic. And then he, he took that philosophy of the two bar uh, uh, for the axles uh, and the wheels. He built a, an axle plate that had holes, multiple holes forward. Then you could change your dump and or uh, move forward. And bro, I don't care, you know, that when I first got into those little adjustments where the chair started to really react to uh, body movement and that's with no strapping, you know, we didn't strap, we flew out of our chairs, you know, and I, I'm telling you, that's, that's a lot to do with the mileage on this old ass body of mine, you know, uh, all breaking all those falls and know. Uh, and when you were young, you thought it was kind of cool, man, because you were flying, you were going to die for a ball, you know, whatever. But it's dramatic now, Chris. It's just, it's so high tech, uh, the wheelchair design and and strapping and positioning and and custom seating and uh, it's everything, you know. And five and wheels, right? I mean, you've got a wheel in back or two wheels. Six in wheels. Gonna... Yeah, yeah. Most, you know, Five wheels is out there, but they're, they're, they're just so much more dangerous because you get hit in that back wheel and, you know, the proverbial flying squirrel is happens and, and it's not pretty. So that's where six wheels came into play, the two in the back, because then people's front ends couldn't hit that one and really, you know, hurt you. Uh, right. Center of Gravity came through with uh, the wheelchair company that I was associated with, um, the Quickie and the All Court. You know, I'm sponsored now by 
Performax. So I'm going to make sure everybody knows that. But, uh, you know, I, I found the ankle or the Jim Black sent me an ankle strap for uh, snowboard. He worked at Quickie and a good athlete himself. And he said, here, see what you can do with this. And then so I put two of them together and there came, you know, introduced the ratchet strap, which went global, you know, and now it's just accepted. You know, it's just a piece of equipment that everybody uses. And uh, but that that came from those days, too. And in the. Um, uh, that would have been mid to late 90s. When did you know? the, are you allowed to talk about the quickie days, like when things started happening, like with Maryland and, and well, sure. Uh, yeah, it's historical, you, you know. Uh, uh, so if you want me to, I, I yeah. can, you, you know, quickie uh, came into uh, play uh, after actually after Quadra. Uh, quadra wheelchairs was the first custom chair uh, after Bud Rumpel and the Detroit Sparks started to just weld uh, rigid frames together for their team. Uh, then Jeff Minnebreaker and Quadra came came through, had custom, had anodized colors, uh, had quick release axles. First time those hit the street. Uh, because when we have a quick release axle too, because most people, I mean, a lot of people who listen might not even know what that is. Yeah, you're right. You're right. And I'm glad you asked. Okay. You heard me talk about the, the seventies, a, a grade eight bolt. It's just a, it's just a piece of hardware with a nut. Uh, and it's a strong bolt, but they broke all the time. So you get hit and you'd be literally, <laughs> disabled for as long as it took to get that out and and then put in a new bolt and and tighten it down again so a, a quick release aircraft kind of uh aluminum or steel axle uh came into play where you just pushed a button and the the little um uh, pins at the end would release it whatever yeah 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 and so you could just by pressing a button take your wheel on and off so if you had any issues it was just the matter of pushing a button and uh and, and again that that came from that time uh and and it went global and now everybody they don't even people don't even know where that came from you know and it it came from Jeff Minnebreaker and Quadra, and uh, now it's it's world worldwide. Everybody uses quick release axle. Uh, that's when dramatically center of gravity changed. When I got hooked into Quickie from Quadra, uh, and it took a while for that. Uh, again, Jim Black designed a uh, uh, an all court with a fifth wheel which allowed you to dramatically move your center of gravity forward. And for those that don't understand center of gravity, when you move it forward, you're able to, to carve a turn by the turn of your chin or your head uh, and uh, literally steer your chair without ever touching the wheels. And 
And so it was a dramatic, if there's any one thing that improved, uh, you know, sports like wheelchair basketball and wheelchair tennis, it was center of gravity adjustment, you know, uh, and then combine the strapping, um, and, you know, then Spinergy came into play with lighter, more durable, uh, wheels, you, you know, with, um, uh, you know, stainless steel spoke wheels, heavy, and, you know, you'd be knocking them out in every game practice and twisting them around another spoke just to not have them. Yeah, it was crazy. Rattling around in your frame. How much of an advantage was that? Because you said, like, the Detroit Sparks were the guys who who did the the quadra, right? So, or, or rigid frame chairs. Did that revolutionize the sport and was it a huge advantage versus the other teams right you show up and these guys have a way better chair than you do are they beating everybody as a result well they were really good and you know they they as a team i think they had seven six or seven national championships uh you know they they had the personnel to begin with but then you add a custom rigid frame uh, that could deliver a punch, take a punch. Uh, yeah, dramatically. Uh, I, I remember in Sacramento, uh, prior to going to the Paralympic Games, I went, you know, Bud Rumples was round tubing. I went to square tubing in Sacramento, had a welder, you know, uh, put this box frame together for me. And, uh, and in that first Paralympic Games, uh, I was actually in a uh, a uh, rigid frame, you know, in 76. 76, uh, and same frame for racing and for basketball? No, no. Uh, that was specifically a basketball chair. Um, the earlier days uh, of uh, let me make sure I'm getting this straight Um, yeah you know now my age may be coming in so within those couple of years you know um, but to answer your question rigid frames that's where they began in the uh no yeah yeah okay 1978 i went to the national tournament in a box frame chair from out of sacramento so those first that first paralympic games i was in the custom everyday chair for a basketball frame and uh uh and then from that came quadra and when you threw color out there the world just lit up man i mean we had anodized chairs and, and uh, they were, you know, as a company and I was a sponsored rider for them and, and feedback guy, you know, Brad Parks, Eric Walls, Jeff Minterbreaker, Mary Wilson uh, Bogles was, uh, they were, they were in the shop and running that whole end of the thing. And uh, um and ran that a couple of years and then quickie came into play 
And then here we are moving into this technological, all of a sudden it's going from, you know, like you said, Etzel to uh, Maserati, you know, uh, and just a really good time. You know, I got to witness all that and be part of all that. Uh, most people, you know, I stress that in wheelchair basketball whenever I get behind a mic and it's appropriate, is to really know your history of who did what, you know. Uh, it's really important, you know, you know, at this last Hall of Fame banquet we had in Wichita for, for the National Wheelchair Basketball Association, it's like, look, where do you think that quick release axle came from that you have on your chair right now or, or that click strap uh, or those titanium push rings and uh, all of it, you know? So I think it's important. And it's one thing that in most adaptive sports, is missing is is your uh, collection of and recording your history you know uh, especially technology yeah. yeah what was it like i mean because you talk about the technology we talked a little bit about hollywood right so there's a bit of like super acceptance with regard to hollywood in some ways but then what about getting court time what about getting people to watch getting sort of legitimacy of the sport because i mean you guys thought you were good right how did you get other people to think to actually appreciate what you were doing? Well, it, you know, there's just these phases in my career, Chris, that, you know, went from the seventies to, you know, where you were totally not accepted, uh, you know, you were totally discriminated against. There was no equality or equity in. What did that of, look like? The discrimination? Well, it looks like, okay. Like Sac Sacramento state, I, I slide down to, uh, uh san francisco and um and uh, i'm at the uh, i need a restroom and san francisco is hard to find in especially any time but then especially so i go into uh this bar and because I, it was flat i had to find it and uh the i, I go man I, I just like to use your restroom and the guy goes well, no, you have to, you know, you have to have a, you have to have a drink or a beer or something, you know? And, and so I said, okay, well, give me a beer then. Cause I really need a restroom. And, and the guy says to me, uh, no, man, I can't serve you. You know, I'm not going to have you, uh, drink this beer and then go out and kill somebody. I said, what are you talking about? You know, he, so he had me pegged for this uh, handicapped person that he was going to turn down in his bar, no matter what. And this was like during the day. I mean, and trust me, I wasn't drinking, man. He just flat turned me down. And, uh, uh, so it, that felt, you know, now I know, and then I knew what discrimination was starting to feel like, you know, and, um, firsthand, um, is it different as an athlete than it was when you're just rolling around on your own or not? Well, I mean, athletes were, you're more able to improvise, you know, improvise and, and deal with inaccessibility. At least I was, I mean, we could jump back then we could jump curbs that were like 12 inches tall, you know, it would be fun for us um, because there weren't curb cuts. There weren't ramps. 
you know, it, uh, it, it was a crazy time, but by, by the time you move from the seventies and then I get to the eighties and I reach Casa Colina, right. There's the eight national championships and, and I knew by then that I couldn't count on any kind of newspaper or flyers or that kind of thing to get fans to come out. You literally had to develop a, a people strategy of rubbing elbows, say, we really need you there. We, um, we got to count on you. So Casa was able to fill some, some uh, college campus uh, basketball courts for uh, television in LA, you know, Laker girls coming into the uh, Cal Poly Pomona to, um, and, and uh, uh, Pat Riley and some of the Lakers. We, and, you know, we have relationships with the Dodgers. So the element of LA sports we were able to attract a lot of people and attention that way. And, and they were by the time we hit full stride as Casa Colina, we were a great team, you know, and, and, and people started to pay attention and, and, uh, but yet, you know, still you weren't accepted uh, now. I'm, I mean, we did get a LA televised game in, um, in the late eighties, you know, uh, and that was a first, you know, so, I'm, you know, there's, it's been a trail of, uh, things I've, um, I forget if I'm not asked the question and, um, but the fight to, to be accepted and, uh, you know, to get coverage, you know, you had to really work for was it Marilyn at Quickie who said, if you can't stand up, stand out with regards She's to the first college? person I heard say it. Yeah, she, she absolutely was. And, uh, you know, the combo of Marilyn, Randy, Snow, and myself, uh, the synergy that began uh, with the engineers and, and the movement, um, uh, it, 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 it was... It was something else, you know, uh, Randy and I were probably the first two almost professional wheelchair athletes, you know, being sponsored and paid through through uh, that wheelchair company. And um, Casa Colina allowed me to play and compete. They paid me as though I was working any sport. Any and that's a I rehab got. facility too, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a rehab facility in Pomona, California, and uh, uh, and I I had a recreation therapist job there, running a adaptive sports program, uh, and and it was a dream job. I mean, I literally was a salaried wheelchair athlete uh, when I wasn't working. You know, I mean. Uh, they got some benefit of all that, uh, but I, I got the most benefit, you know. I was still able to help newly injured uh, in my role as a staff person there and expose so many 
people to adapt to sports and and then yet still achieve all my uh, individual sports goals, you know, and, and be paid. Did you have any of those people that you helped introduce to the sport, like coming through rehab? Because it's, it's a change in your life, right? You, you think, okay, I can't do this, I can't do that. And then you start into sport and you go, oh, well, I can do this, I can do that. Did you end up with any of those people who you saw them right at the beginning or close to the beginning who then ended up competing with you? Well, all the time. I mean, uh, it, it would be pretty hard. I mean, just taking part was the big deal. You know, getting back to life was a big deal. And, and then, yeah, competing, uh, learning how to play wheelchair tennis or, uh, you know, learning how to road race and do track uh, we had all those programs going on and it, it was a hotbed and uh, uh, you know, it's staggering, Chris, how many nice comments I get from those individuals that now see what's going on in social media and they tell the story of how I may have helped them, you know, and I get that so much and it fills my heart so much to hear it and and I'm like wow you know and I just paid attention to everybody you know I I never threw an elite uh attitude at at people especially newly injured folks man I was there to help and serve and and uh that you know I have to believe that had so much to do with this induction you know not only was it the stats which are obvious, but it's everything else. Uh, and, and more recently, this the DK3 movement, 20 years of invitational three-on-three tournaments uh, with heavy emphasis and focus on women's opportunities and veterans uh, colliding and, and integrating with Paralympians, uh, gold medalists, medalists, national champions. And uh, it's been one of the most attractive basketball uh, happenings over the past 20 years, you know, people are in love with it. I can't get away from it. You know, it's so appealing about it. Why do people love it so much? Well, it, you know, real, really quick to, you know, most three on three tournaments uh, were designed where you came in with your own three. And that may have been the, the same three that you've played years with. You might not even like them. Then, then on the next thing is you've got to move three people to expense of a tournament and get that commitment. And, uh, and then you had three monsters, three gorillas come in that, oh, dude, nobody's going to beat them. Right. You know, you knew. So in my tournaments early on, Shorty Powers motivated it out of Texas to get me to do it. You enter as an individual. I came up with this format. I go, okay, I'll have people just come. I'll make the teams and we'll, I'll make parity. I don't have, you know, I'll be fair. And, uh, uh, and little did I know that that structure would carry on for, you know, 2023 will be my 20th year, which I believe will be my grand finale um 
with the caveat of retirement, you know, that changes, uh, but yeah. So that you get, now you get the chance to maybe hook up with a Matt Scott, Steve Serio, Becca Murray, you know, these Paralympians, you might get that draw and, and you're, you're not playing with the same people you play with your whole, you know, the whole season with, and um, that's what, and then, throw prize money in there. You know, we, we have, we have a decent amount of prize money. Uh, you know, some term it's 20,000, some term it's 25,000 and boom, you've got, uh, you've just got a lot of momentum into positive basketball that it's just a camaraderie that I can't describe. They're there for the love of the game in the off season, you know, and, Anyways, but people join as individuals at DK3, right? So you, so I sign up as an individual, and I get. I have to invite you. Okay, okay. Well, you probably don't want to invite me, really. No, no, I didn't mean it like no, no. I'm saying it's an invitational, though, <laughs> right? Because I, 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 I've got to, in order to be able to be have the parity, I can't have the talent pool too far separated you know from top to bottom it wouldn't be good for either end of that spectrum so it's an invitational and uh uh yeah so then how many teams uh this last one in dallas at uta was uh 20 28 teams playing on six to eight half courts all at one time and uh dj you know uh and branded it's it, it's and organized we're we're never late everything runs like clockwork and uh man people just come away with like man that was so cool and that's why i've kept doing it you know and so this but is 104 man, athletes. Are they are they effectively like 104 of the top 120 athletes? Well, in the no, world? no, because what makes it really good is you. I can take a certain amount of mid level players. Okay. All right, and and that's the beauty of this design because they're getting the opportunity to play with some of the best in the world, and not just from our country. We have. You know, we've had Australian, Japanese, Canadian, uh, uh, English, you, you know, we've had people come in and play. Um, and so that's where the real beauty of it is. Like I said, uh, the mid-level player does get the opportunity to play with greats that they've only read about, you know, or seen on tv or if they're lucky enough if they're in the paralympics you know yeah so. so this is the equivalent in some ways of like of like a college player who might get the chance to you know and, and even even possibly like a division three college player who gets a chance to play with, with a pro yeah 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 it's just like that and uh and uh it's it's worked you know that's awesome um uh, it's it's worked it's it is a lot of work to get it to work you know getting that parity putting the teams together is is a process uh, but
but I usually have a tournament director like Doug Garner, the coach of UTA. Uh, he'll help me with that. And I got to do a lot of re research on players and, uh, but I've got great sponsors uh, had the same ones over the years that have allowed the cash flow to cover the costs and, and to pay the players and, and, uh, you know, but veterans, there's a lot of veterans involved and a lot of women involved uh, on these teams. And uh, I take great pride in that. Yeah, no, this is awesome. Well, Dave, you said you weren't going to be good for more than 15 minutes. We blazed through an hour. We didn't talk about, we didn't talk about your skiing. We didn't talk about your history in basketball prior to being in a wheelchair uh we didn't talk about we didn't talk about anything i mean we actually even got a comment eric uh band dearly uh was saying that he has massive respect for you multi-sport incredible accomplishments not to mention yeah you came into skiing i remember you you actually had one of the greatest uh sort of psych moves that i that i have seen in the gs in alberville in 1992 you and jacques blanc were going back and forth and uh you had you had kind of put it down on the hip the first round of the GS I think it was but I think you were still in first and and he asked you how your run was and you're like oh it was okay didn't tell him anything about going down on the hip didn't didn't tell him any of that stuff and let him think that he was within striking distance and apparently he was not within striking distance because you pulled out that gold but uh but yeah so uh so yeah we didn't even get the chance to talk about about a ton of that stuff uh but anyway. I got a little get. I got a little Gabby about the wheelchair basketball years and technology and stuff. But uh, I thought it was super cool stuff. I won't ever forget that Alpine race, man, because I thought I was over. It was just a quick the the back tail washed out, and then I just leaned to the hill. I came right up, but I thought I was toast, you know. And I just hauled ass the rest of the course, you know. Uh, and yeah, that's just a head scratcher that I was able to still win that race. Yeah. Jacques Blanc and I went head to head a lot and it, we had a great rivalry. He was a great skier, that's for sure. Uh, both of you were. So we'll, we'll have to get you back because we missed, we missed a bunch of the stuff, but, but it was absolutely awesome. Thanks a ton for joining us. Have a, have a great tournament. Is there a way, I mean, people can, can go to your website, right? DK3 is that Dave Kiley DK3 um Dave Kiley at DK3.com Dave Kiley at DK3.com if people are yeah. I mean if, if people are trying to trying to solicit their way into uh hey I need to get into the tournament so we'll see how that works yeah <laughs> yeah not to give you too many well, I really appreciate it no this was this was absolutely awesome man so Thanks a ton for joining us. Really appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll look forward to talking next time. Congratulations on the Hall of Fame and have a great tournament. Yeah, and same to you, Chris, and your story career, man. It was great seeing you in Colorado Springs. Yeah, this was good fun. Well, thanks to all of you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed our time with Dave. Uh, greatest gift you can give us is to tell your friends. Tell your friends to tune in. Tell, us, tell them to check it out. This will be a traditional podcast later on. So if you can like us, if you can follow us, we'll continue to get great guests and hopefully entertain you. So we'll see you next time.